Hi, everyone. This is America Adapts, the climate change podcast. Hey, Adapters. Welcome back to another exciting episode. I'm Doug Parsons, your host of America Adapts. In this episode, we take a look at the climate adaptation and disaster policies of the Democratic candidates running for the presidency in the 2020 election. Yes, a very important topic. My guest in this episode is Dr. Samantha Montano. Samantha and her colleague, Amanda Levitt, developed a chart where they assess the candidates' climate plans and how they address adaptation and disaster policies, basically checking off if they cover key disaster management areas. As you'll discover in our talk, it's a pretty mixed bag, but definitely an improvement from even the 2016 election. For their evaluation, they developed a chart that broke each platform into 20 subcategories. To follow along, a link to their evaluation is in my show notes. It might make it easier for you to follow along if you had that open. Either way, you'll get a useful primer on what constitutes disaster policies and how the candidates are doing addressing these topics. On that note, presidential campaigns are very fluid. People tend to drop out. Although, as you have seen in the news recently, people are joining the race even this late in the game. Either way, this evaluation is useful as the field narrows and the campaigns start to really ramp up their staff. If you're a Republican and you're wondering why I didn't focus on the GOP, well, President Trump doesn't currently have a resilience policy to evaluate. I reached out to Mark Sanford's campaign if they had anything to contribute, and they were looking into it, but then he dropped out of the race before we could finalize anything. It's a shame we should be able to assess and learn about adaptation and disaster policies from both parties, but for the time being, we're focusing on the Democratic candidates. So I'll say this up front, even though we talk about evaluating their disaster policies, neither Samantha or I are endorsing any particular candidate. I just want to make sure that's clear from the start. It's a conversation about how they're doing on this particular subject, which we consider a very important topic going forward. Okay, before we get started, just a heads up. Next up is Judge Alice Hill. We talk about her new book, Building a Resilient Tomorrow. What a great conversation we had. It was great to have Judge Hill back on the podcast, and I'm looking forward to sharing that. Also coming up soon is my end of the year special episode, and I have a few surprise guest panelists. And then there's an extreme heat episode with Dr. Lad Keith from the University of Arizona, and also in the works, a discussion of how the Federal Reserve is quickly getting into the adaptation space. And I'll have Jesse Keenan of Harvard University on for that one. What a great slate that takes us through the new year. Okay, let's learn what's happening with adaptation and disaster policies with Dr. Samantha Montano. Hey, adapters. Today, I have a very exciting episode. I am talking with Dr. Samantha Montano. Samantha is an assistant professor at the University of Nebraska in emergency management and disaster science. Hi, Samantha. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So it's actually been a while since you've been on. You are now at the University of Nebraska. What do you do there? What kind of brought you there? What sort of happened in the last couple of years? I teach uh, in the Emergency Management and Disaster Science Program at University of Nebraska, Omaha. I mostly teach classes, still doing research, doing a lot of public engagement type work. So things are good. reason I have you on be you know, of course I should have you on because you're doing all this amazing work, but you wrote a blog and we're, we're going to break this down. And I don't really get political on this podcast, but I think what you did with this blog, and I'm going to have you explain it in a sec, is really just a great resource as we head into the 2020 presidential election. And so what you you and another author did, and if you could just kind of give her a shout out, that'd be great. You took a look at all the Democratic candidates' disaster management policies. But yeah, could you elaborate? What, what did you two do with this article? 
myself and my co-author here, Amanda Savitt, very soon to be Dr. Amanda Savitt. She's finishing up her doctoral dissertation in emergency management at North Dakota State University, where I was previously at. Her and I talk a lot about emergency management policies and as you know, we've started to see the beginnings of the 2020 election, particularly on the Democratic side unfold, we have kind of been keeping our eye out for any mention of emergency management policies and what the candidates are talking about, particularly as there is our conversation around climate plans between the CNN Climate Forum and the MSNBC Forum on Climate. I was personally really interested to see that the candidates were really framing their understanding of climate change around recent disasters that had happened. And yet when they were talking about climate related policies, there was very little to any mention of emergency management specific policies that would address those disasters that they were kind of framing this climate conversation around. And so I felt like there was this little bit of a disconnect going on in those conversations. For my listeners, I know a lot of you, when you listen, you're not really looking at anything, but I I'm going to have a link to this blog, and if you can, I, I highly recommend just opening it as I have this conversation with Samantha, just because it's kind of nice to look at the chart. Most of you are not going to have that luxury, and we'll make sure that it all makes sense. But yeah, it should look at those show notes, and, and I'll have a link, and you can click it open. On that note, just want, I want to add some context here, too, as we kind of dig into this, but you looked at all the Democratic candidates, and, and they came up with some climate plans. But it just so we know, and this is the nature of dealing with a presidential election. Beto O'Rourke dropped out since you published this piece, right? Was right. It, has anyone else sort of left the, the – I don't think anyone else left the race. No, I think it's only him. <laughs> and <somebody laughs> it's, so funny it's hard to keep track. I'm pretty sure it's only been him that's dropped out. <laughs> Okay, and you know, by the time people listen to this, who knows what who, who has knows? dropped out? We don't want this to be dated right away, but I think the overall goal of what you're trying to accomplish here, this is going to, you know, be useful information even leading into when there's just two remaining candidates. But let's just let people visualize a few things here. So you have these four charts, and we don't have to go into all the. I think there's 20 categories, but what are the four charts? Could you just walk us through those? Yes. In emergency management, we kind of divide the tasks and activities that we do into these four phases. So mitigation, the things we're doing to prevent or minimize damage from disasters, preparedness, the things we're doing to ready ourselves to respond and recover from a disaster, and then our response policies, right? So related to how we do life-saving measures and then recovery policies. So things we're doing to help rebuild communities. We took three of those phases. We left out response that kind of falls under preparedness in the way that policy manifests. So we have mitigation policies, preparedness policies, recovery policies, and then we have a fourth chart that encompasses policies that kind of cross multiple phases. And we had this conversation, too, is that there's this mitigation policy and, and people who are in the climate space. I... It's been used by the disaster crowd for a lot longer, but most people associate it now within the climate realm is like mitigating your carbon footprint. And it's not that. Could you just get, make elaborate a little bit on that? Yes. The way that we use the word mitigation in emergency management is to describe things like building levees and flood infrastructure, raising houses, these tasks that in, I think, more in your world, maybe fall more under this language of adaptation. But like you said, we've been using the word mitigation for a while in emergency management. I, the other thing I should say, too, is that the thing with emergency management is that policies in many different policy areas 
are like tangentially or in some way related to emergency management. You know, housing policy obviously has an effect on the types of damages we see on the way people are able to recover after a disaster. You know, environmental policy broadly is going to have an impact on emergency management in various ways. So one thing that Amanda and I were very intentional about was really kind of taking a narrow focus on emergency management. We kind of felt that like other people had gone through those other policy areas in terms of the candidates plans for those policy areas. And so we wanted to like very specifically focus in on policies that are most directly related to emergency management. Good. And some people out there might say, well, who are you to kind of weigh on this? And you gave a little bit of your background, but these areas that you've just described in these charts, this is sort of the common language. This is sort of the structure of people in the emergency management community kind of use, right? Yes, absolutely. My background specifically tends to be more in recovery. Amanda's background tends to be more in mitigation. And then we've both done work in regards to preparedness. So usually within emergency management, you kind of specialize more in one phase than the other. But between the two of us, we've crossed phases here. And I guess let's not go through all these, but could you just maybe do mention maybe four or five of the actual categories that are under the, you know, the broader issues of like mitigation policy and such, what just so people can kind of get a sense of what you're saying here. Yeah, sure. Very first one on our list, increased funding for mitigation. The way we approach, actually, maybe I should back up and say the way that we approach this is that we pulled up the websites of all the candidates. I looked through all the plans they had, but pretty much was focusing in on their climate plan specifically. That's where I found the most emergency management policy related topics mentioned. And so within those climate plans, we coded to see what they were talking about. I should mention also (laughs) one more caveat that the candidates were not necessarily using terminology in the correct way. And so there was a little bit of having to guess a little bit about what they were actually referencing. We coded everything that they had in those plans, and then we brought in the categories a little bit so that people were able to see, have a better sense of where the commonalities among candidates were. The first main category that I think about half of the candidates talked about was increasing funding for disaster mitigation kind of broadly saying the existing mitigation programs that are run through FEMA need more money attached to them, right? We also saw a fair number of them talking about increasing funding for natural mitigation efforts specifically. We saw a fair number of them talking about increasing funding for or like incentivizing and requiring local and private mitigation efforts. So bringing in other aspects of the community to help with that. Preparedness, there was a pretty widespread variation. I think the one point that had the most agreement among candidates was improve data and information for decision making, which again, in terms of actual policies, some pretty major differences there, but kind of this general sense that this is an issue that we have. In recovery, there was a emphasis among maybe a third of the candidates about really needing to increase the quality and equitability of recovery. And then across phase policies, there was a kind of a lot of talk about the need to create new federal structures or create new programs to help manage the consequences of climate change, specifically disasters. I think those were the ones that kind of had the most agreement to them. 
So looking at this chart, it, it kind of occurs to me, and, and I want to kind of dive into this. And again, I've probably already mentioned in the introduction that we're not endorsing any candidates here. Samantha's not endorsing anyone specifically, and I'm not endorsing anyone. That's not what we're here for, but just we want to go over what they're saying. And But to me, they're kind of all over the map. And you know, partly, I think maybe that has to do with how you, the, the different areas here. You have preparedness versus mitigation policies. And for some of the campaigns, they might just see those as not even related to some extent. I mean, is that one way of kind of looking why? they're all over the map? Yeah, I really think this is at the root of it. So no candidate has a, well, I shouldn't say that. Um, Only one candidate claims to have what we would maybe call a comprehensive emergency management plan. Buttigieg has, I think he calls it a preparedness plan that he released. But, you know, most of these candidates are not coming from like any kind of emergency management background. Castro has um, some good experience in disasters because of his time at HUD. They're heavily involved in recovery efforts. And so I think he has some kind of unique insights. And then past that, any of the candidates, their involvement in emergency management really comes from anything that's kind of occurred in their state is my understanding, at least. And so it's not surprising at all to hear the terminology of emergency management used kind of incorrectly or in some strange ways or to not be presented in this really coherent or comprehensive way. I think where there's like some frustration from my perspective is that, um, you know, the president of the United States has a significant sway over the vision and the funding and the approach that we take to emergency management. And we really need somebody who has an understanding of emergency management and at least has the ability to pull people in around them who have that knowledge, you know, and make sure that they have the people writing these plans that actually have this expertise. Okay. So so as people can visualize this, there is this chart, there's the names of the candidates and then these different categories. And so you have a check if they sort of have in some, in some way, some language that kind of addresses that. And I just want to point out and maybe you can explain, I think you you say in the blog post, the representative Gabbard, I don't even know how to pronounce his name. Night, she didn't have a climate plan to pull anything from, so her boxes are all empty. But then Senator yes. Klobuchar, <laughs> Klobuchar, Klobuchar, Klobuchar. Oh, I'm sorry, Senator. Um, she's also blank across the board. So did she have a climate plan, and there was just nothing related to disaster management? Yeah, she has a climate plan. Um, there's really nothing in there about emergency management specifically. Um, she did, I will, in her defense, at one of the climate, I believe it was the CNN climate town hall, she did talk about buyout programs, which would fall under mitigation. She actually gave a really good example of a community in Minnesota, where she's from, that ran a successful buyout program over the course of many years. So it definitely is something she's like aware about, but it wasn't really represented in what she had written. All right. So, but, you know, policies are taken on things written down. And so right. we, we, we need <laughs> exactly. to see that sort of more broadly. And I think this kind of gets to you're, you're looking at emergency management, but you kind of put this in, in the context of climate change. And do you think there's value? And if these as these campaigns, you see all the attention sort of on the carbon side. And I get that's that's important. But should they have okay they have the mitigation of carbon but then adapting to climate change and emergency management would kind of fall under that just for the sake of creating a i guess a coherent policy position i mean do you feel that would be a better way to communicate what they're doing here 
Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I think there's a lot of ways to structure this. I look at somebody like Elizabeth Warren, who notoriously has a plan for everything. And I think for somebody like her to have an emergency management specific plan, like standalone plan would not be inappropriate or like outside of the realm of something I think she would consider. But I think for maybe some of the smaller candidates who have just smaller campaigns, I, I think including that, yeah, under that you know, splitting climate change into mitigation and adaptation and then putting emergency management under adaptation. I don't think that's inappropriate. I think when you look at the like types of plans candidates have, that's like most appropriate fit for emergency management. Yeah. And I don't think many of these candidates really get the issue of adaptation. It's obvious. And so it just might seem like a helpful exercise for them as because, of course, I think most of them want to address this. And so just to kind of get their, their their thinking in order, it would probably be beneficial. Yeah. So here's my feedback on the blog. Uh, first, it's just very useful. I've got you on. We're talking about this. One of the things I thought was missing, and and maybe it's there and it's just implied in a different way, is when you talk about emergency management, you talk about climate change, we're always missing these opportunities to really create more awareness around the issue. People are like, well, we could just do the business. And so what about you know communication plans or the, the, that as part of sort of the core Part of emergency management is that we're going to be talking about this in the context of climate change and be it a, a national campaign. Yeah, I don't I'm trying to off the top of my head. I don't remember any candidate talking about that at all. There was some conversation among candidates about creating or doing more research which maybe could have feed into that. The other thing, this like goes back to what I was saying about it was kind of a guess sometimes as to what they meant and what they were talking about. Keep in mind that like these quote unquote policies that we're talking about are a sentence, maybe two sentences long. So there's definitely a lot of kind of things that we're inferring here. But I, I mean, generally, yes, having a broader conversation about emergency management, helping people understand, you know, the relationship between disasters, climate change, adaptation, emergency management, this is all something that like it's a new language that we're all having to learn. And I think the sooner the public understands that language, I've seen many journalists, I think, are coming more on board with this language using terms more appropriately in the past couple of years. So I think we're headed in that direction. But anything that can be done to help move that along, I think, is beneficial. OK, so on that note, as I can imagine, I bet every campaign would reach out to you and say, well, you're missing this because that's the nature of what they do. But most serious presidential campaigns, they have a national security expert. They have a health care expert. Are you aware of any of the Democratic presidential campaigns that have a preparedness or like an adaptation expert? I do not know of any that do. Maybe one does. I don't know about it. And also from reading their plans, it does not sound like any of them do. And for an area that is probably going to be spending what whoever wins, they're going to be spending a lot of money on this. A, a natural disaster. You know, I'm not supposed to say natural disaster. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm in that camp. I get it. When hurricane or any of these things hit that you're dealing with emergency management, they're going to be spending a lot of money. This is something that you can't have an expert on staff for every topic. But this, to me, seems like it merits. We need to elevate this. Yeah, I agree. I think that just broadly across the country, there's still, I don't know if it's like denial or just a lack of understanding about how 
expensive, how significant these increasing disasters are across the country. I mean, it's every single state is battling something. You know, we have communities that are going through decade long recovery processes like all across the country. And so, you know, there has to be an investment at the federal level, at state levels, at local levels in emergency management in terms of, you know, everything, personnel, resources, knowledge, money, all of those different factors. We need a nationwide investment in emergency management. And to say that we want a candidate that has knowledge of emergency management, or at least has the people around them to help them learn about emergency management and make decisions that are based on what evidence tells us, you know, we need to be doing that are not just pulling policies out of thin air, but are actually, you know, basing, basing policy decisions on the actual needs of communities across the country is absolutely vital in how we move forward and what the damage from climate change across the country looks like in the next decades. So in the introduction for this piece, you talk about framing. And so a lot of candidates and a lot of people talking about climate change, are like, look at these wildfires, it's climate change, it's the hurricane, climate change, therefore we need to reduce our carbon emissions. I agree we need to reduce our carbon emissions, but could you elaborate on that point that they make that leap and they sort of skip out on the whole idea of we need to adapt to climate change? I was just, especially during that CNN forum, I was just so struck. They had live footage of Dorian and a live footage of a wildfire in California or something going on behind the candidates as they were talking. And everybody kept referencing those unfolding situations. And then they would just talk about carbon or whatever else, right? Straws not eating meat, all of those things, which, yeah, like, sure, let's talk about that. That's important. But it, it was just such a strong disconnect. And I, it's so dangerous also to think that climate change is the only factor leading to these disasters. It's not. It is one factor among several. We have to talk about development decisions. We have to talk about where people are living and more people moving to more vulnerable areas. There's these other factors that we need to address. And when you, again, absolutely on board with addressing climate change itself, but you have to also think about this in a more comprehensive way, a more holistic way. And so it, it just seemed like there was a real opportunity there. Like it wasn't, these forums were like six hours, nine hours. It wasn't like there was a lack of time right, to talk right. about this issue. So I don't, necessarily know if that was if the lack of talking about emergency management came from just kind of a place of ignorance and not knowing that that was something they should be talking about if that came from news outlets not wanting to ask those questions or not knowing to ask those questions or if it came from a place of oh that's like a a topic where we're going to have to talk about how we need to spend more money and that's politically unpopular. So I don't want to talk about it. You know, I think maybe it was some combination of the three. That's, yeah. That's good. Okay. So let's get to, so, you know, some follow up to this is, I, I don't know if you know, Anita Van Breda, the disaster person at World Wildlife Fund. Have you crossed paths with her? I don't believe I have. Well, you should. She's right up your alley. And she, she and I have done some episodes together, but it's a long winded way of saying I occasionally ask people for some questions. And so she had a question for you. Oh, what, good. what are the top three things you would recommend any candidate to do to update emergency, their emergency management approach? The first, well, oh gosh, let me think of my top three here. Okay. <laughs> um, the first, it would be to 
which many of them have said, increase funding for mitigation across the country, but not only increase funding, but like provide support to communities in determining what mitigation needs to happen in their communities and to kind of provide some of that personnel and technical support to communities as they're starting to think through uh, their mitigation needs. Uh, secondarily, I would say uh, recovery reform has got to be a big one. Again, this is you, you can take many different approaches, but the way that we do recovery in the United States is ineffective, inefficient and unjust. And we've got to do something about it, especially as we're seeing so many communities having to not getting through the recovery process before the next disaster comes. And then the third is more specific, really. And I don't know if this is controversial. I don't think it is. But my third one would be to take FEMA out of the Department of Homeland Security. It's a, a big policy move, but I think it's one that is necessary. I don't know if listeners know this, but FEMA used to be an independent cabinet level agency. And after 9-11, when the Department of Homeland Security was created, FEMA was put underneath DHS. And that move is a partial reason that is credited for the failed response in New Orleans after Katrina. Some little tweaks were made policy-wise after Katrina. But really, the kind of the bureaucracy that FEMA gets thrown around in within DHS really impedes their ability, in my opinion, and according to some research. And also, I'll say researchers, I think, ha have a pretty general consensus on the need to pull FEMA out of DHS. But also, interestingly, practitioners are pretty widely on board with that going back almost a decade now, the International Association of Emergency Managers came out in favor of removing FEMA from DHS. James Lee Witt, former FEMA administrator, came out in support of it as well. So I think that's a, a policy change that's been out there for a while that it's probably time to act on. Wow. Bold. Well, <laughs> I hope that wasn't too controversial. No, I don't think so. um, I, I, they need to do something even bigger. You know how the Fed, Federal Reserve is this truly unique thing that, you know, something equivalent to FEMA needs to be that unique. It's disasters are coming. Can't politicize this stuff. And so, yeah, yeah need something, a big change. Yeah. Okay, a few more questions here. Did the two of you try to contact any of the Republican campaigns? No, we did not. Okay, just just because you felt like there wasn't any material or content that could you could analyze or what? Yeah, that I to my understanding, Trump does not have a climate plan. I perhaps I'm wrong in that assumption, and I don't the people running against him. I guess I don't know are that those are very serious campaigns. I guess we were trying to focus on, you know, the people that were going to um, make it further along. Like even with the Democratic candidates, we only picked the like top 10 or whatever that actually made the debate. Okay, just so FYI, I know someone in, in Mark Sanford, he's one of the other candidates running at his campaign, and I've reached out to him and I've said, hey, listen, if you've got anything, any they're working up their policies right now. And I said we I would run it by you and maybe you would come back on for a very short conversation where you could say, OK, this is how it kind of aligns in the chart. So just kind of a heads up that that might yeah, happen. Sure. I don't know. I don't know if it'll they'll sure. get me anything, but I, I want to give them a chance. Sure. You know, we, we want to provide an opportunity for the Republican side to weigh in on the future of the nation. 
I know you're not endorsing anyone, but you are an expert in this area. You have a lot to say in this area. So what if a campaign reached out to you? Is, is someone like you or Amanda, are you, are you available to provide that sort of expertise? Are you interested in doing that? Yes, of course. Absolutely. If I tweet at Elizabeth Warren anymore, she's going to file a restraining order. <laughs> but yes, we are happy to help any candidate. Well, I shouldn't speak for Amanda, but I assume we're both happy to talk about these issues with any any candidate, of course. This has been a great conversation for me. And uh, hopefully, folks, this, you see this as a resource. Again, <laughs> Democratic candidates will be dropping out over the next few months. That does it. I think the chart itself will hopefully hold up. Maybe you and I can revisit this even in the summer when we're down to two and you know maybe on yeah. the on the republican side it'll be a short conversation not you know hey i'm all for if they have something let's talk about it but then has there been sort of any evolution within the candidates have they ramped up the this kind of side their policy positions in, on this issue so maybe it's it's worth revisiting before the election and we distill it down yeah i'd definitely be curious to do that as well and i think also i should say as critical as I am about the policies that they've put forth and just thinking that it's not comprehensive enough and they're not necessarily the most immediately pressing policies or whatnot. I think that it is important to recognize, though, that to my memory, and I could be misremembering, but to my memory, this is kind of the most we've talked about emergency management policy in a presidential election. And so I think that they're you know, that's at least a positive sign. And I do also think that it's an area that if a candidate took a minute to look at it, I think there could be some really quick evolution in their thinking about these different policies, depending on which disasters happen around the country and whatnot. I think that come summer, there could be some some changes here. Yeah. And I just think it's a huge opportunity for the, the candidates that when you talk about climate change, it's not just about, oh, we're going to sign back onto the Paris Accords or we're going to do this with carbon emissions. We got to do that. But that's sometimes just isn't a, a great selling point. But, oh, we're going to deal with the wildfire issue. We're going to be better prepared for hurricanes. It's just a better way to engage with the public on the issue of climate change. And I think it's a big missed opportunity. Yeah, I do as well. Okay, Samantha, thanks for coming on. It was great to reconnect with you. And I'm glad to see you're still just kicking ass in the space and uh thanks again for coming on thanks for having me okay adapters that is a wrap thanks to dr samantha montano for coming on what a great service she and amanda savitt have provided by doing this policy evaluation as you heard none of the candidates have a staff person dedicated to the issue but we hope as the field narrows and they start to really ramp up their policy departments we'll see someone dedicated to the issue of disaster and adaptation and if you happen to work on one of those campaigns, I hope you see Dr. Montano as a resource to you. The public needs to hear that this issue is important on the presidential campaign trail. I hope to revisit this issue just before the general election and see where the candidates stand. And I'll try my best to get some Republican perspectives on the issue. Okay, some final housekeeping. If you or your organization are interested in partnering on a specific podcast, let me know. There's so many stories to tell on this emerging issue. Let's see if we can collaborate on a future episode. Also, if you're interested in having me speak at a public or corporate event, definitely reach out. I know you're going to enjoy it. I've been doing some keynote presentations, and I also talk about the guests that have come on this podcast. I will talk about adaptation in ways that will motivate and inspire you. You can reach me at americadapts at gmail.com. Okay, your donation makes a huge difference. Don't forget, this is a nonprofit organization. You are supporting further communicating what will be the defining issue of this and future generations. And what I mean is adapting to climate change. 
You can donate at a very simple website and the link is in my show notes. Okay. You also hear how you can support the podcast outside of financial means. You can share on social media. Let's say you have a particular favorite episode. Go and share it. Tell your friends, family, and colleagues. Podcasts grow based on word of mouth. And I count on you guys to share it on Twitter and Facebook and please retweet at me. Don't forget to join the Facebook page and the Facebook community group. The group is private, but just search for America Daps and ask to join and I'll approve you right away. Don't forget, I love hearing from you. I mean it. Just say hi. I've been hearing from a bunch of folks lately. And if you have an idea for a guest, or if you just want to say something about your favorite episode, or you just want to check in, definitely reach out. I'm at americadaps at gmail.com. I love hearing from you guys. It allows me to figure out who's listening to the podcast and the people from all over the world and all walks of life. And a lot of people in the adaptation space. So definitely reach out and, and let me know why you listen. And maybe we can make a connection there. Definitely send me an email. Okay, adapters, keep up the great work. I'll see you next time.